This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Recording? We're on. Yeah, we're recording. We're on. Wait, I'm hosting. No, no. One of you guys has to do the introduction. I'm not going to do the introduction. Welcome to Twig number one sixty nine. How's everyone feeling? What's going on, Adam? You've got a a new uh, a new child in the household. What's it been like? How how are you holding up? Um, pretty good. Pretty good. I can't really complain. Um, obviously, with two children, it's going to be pretty difficult, but. I guess, unlike what Ethan mentioned, I have not committed any crimes uh, in the middle of the night, so that's good. <laughs> I'm not sure why he mentioned that on the podcast. Um, but no, it's been good. Um, it's been interesting because I think we had our first child in the US, second one in Canada. Um, and I gotta say, I love the Canadian system so much more. Oh my God. Oh, stop it. Oh my Just God. Stop. So Just much stop. more. Yeah. Look, look. Do you have uh, no, dude. 
CPMC in San Francisco. <clears throat> it's the best place ever if you're gonna have a baby. Sure, Any complication sure. that happens. So I went. I went to um, a very, very nice private hospital in the United States in Burbank. It was right across the street from Disney Animation Studios. Like we could, there was Dumbo in the hallways. Right there was, there was like you could see the animation studios from um, the place that that my wife gave birth. But no, we had such a terrible experience in the states because the doctor ended up giving her basically three doses to induce her over an 18 hour period, which is normally one dose per 24 hours. It ended up being a situation where my wife has like permanent damage because of the decisions that that doctor made. And during the birth, nobody was, was uh, like nobody was around. The nurses all basically assumed that she would take like 24 hours to give birth and it took like six. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, they really like shot it out of her and she's really been burned ever since and was quite scared going into the hospital here in Canada. Oh, wow. But no, with, with this one, it, it was, it was great epidural work this time. That's always a, a nice thing. Um, and, uh, was fully attentive. This was at like the height of the pandemic, at least for Canada, Omicron cases were, were, were surging. Um, but no, it, it was, it was great. We, we gave birth at like 4 AM. So we had zero sleep took like six minutes of pushing, um, but uh, it was good. Yeah. All right, we're getting a little bit too graphic here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, come on. <laughs> just, just all I ask, just share the birthing video with me privately, man. We don't need to talk about all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, the only update on my end is that uh, we're headed out to Oregon this weekend for the Made Hoops tournament, which is going to be awesome. Um, for Jacob, uh, my son. So <clears throat> my son Jacob is like 5'11", dude, and he's like 12 in sixth grade. So he's like an absolute wow. giant. And uh, the other thing they won their uh, flag football <laughs> flag football championship last week. And it, this is not a competitive league like made hoops. This is like <clears throat> their major play in this 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 tournament was uppy uppy. And that's Jacob basically running to the end zone and putting his arms up because he's taller, like like a foot taller than everyone else. And they just throw it as high as possible and he catches it and they win. They get a touchdown. So this is uh, not so competitive, but it was really fun and awesome to watch Jacob just dominate. He's just too big for his own good, I think. Um, that's it. That's all the updates I got. How about you, Eric? Um... What's going on with me? Not a lot. Same old, same old. Um, my <laughs> wife was out of town. She went to New York over the weekend. We had a winter storm here, so school was canceled Thursday and Friday, and then I was solo parenting Friday, Saturday, what, Sunday, Monday. What's a winter storm in Austin? I get <laughs> cold. No, it gets cold. <laughs> it was in the, no, it was in the twenties. I mean, it was free, it was below freezing, and um, it just it just the problem is it you know it, it usually when it gets cold here in the winters it's just nice right because it's it's sunny. Um, and even if it's below freezing, it's fine. But like it, if, if it ices over the whole city shuts down, I mean, it's oh, just I not see. prepared for ice, right? Like that was last year and everyone was really nervous because of last year, right? The whole, the whole city, um, was, was snowed in, uh, cause we got like something like six inches of snow in a night, right. And, or more. And, and, you know, there's, there's no infrastructure to deal with that. Um, and so we couldn't drive the, 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 the supermarkets couldn't get food, uh, we lost power for like five days. I mean, we ended up, we ended up being holed up in a hotel for five nights with no access to food for like the first two days. Like I went to this wow. like uh, halal, uh, tr a food truck 
two days in a row. And the second day, they like after I got my food, they were like, "We have no more food." And there's a line of like a hundred people behind me. Like I was, I was like, I don't think I was the last one. I was like one of the last ones, but uh, to get food. Uh, so it was pretty scary. And but but it, it didn't. Um, it wasn't that. Uh, you know, it wasn't that harrying, uh, harrowing this 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 year. But it was still just annoying because I was solo parenting with a kid, and it's too cold to go outside. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of, video, know, a lot of video games. Pain, at least <laughs> I know that yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's been like negative twenty degrees Celsius here, which I guess is what like zero Fahrenheit, it, something like that. It's been it's like, like sixty old. degrees here for like the last three weeks. It's been beautiful. I've been going biking every day. Yeah, but you moved to California. <laughs> no. Why do anyone live anywhere else? You know. Give me a fuck up, man. Make some money, moved out to California. All right, moving on. Dude, I, All right, I don't, I don't want to be biking with wearing a bulletproof vest, man. That's too heavy. That's gonna, it's gonna ruin my, uh, my casual bike ride. You could probably afford a few pounds anyway, right? Sweat it out. <laughs> uh, but Chris, you got some updates. Uh, oh, and one thing from last week, you guys kept talking about, um, uh, what was it? Hyperspace. It's, it's hyperscape. Oh, um, that's the well, that's 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 how much that game didn't matter in the world. <laughs> OK, so Bungie update. So I got a little bit of feedback from some folks and a few things that I got wrong. And then a couple things that actually came out after the podcast or I didn't didn't get a, get a chance to read it is, uh, first of all, one point two billion dollars of the consideration was actually retention uh, money, which basically payouts to keep key personnel, which is actually super, super, super smart. Right. To, keep them locked up um, and engaged. Um, and it looks like uh, revenue was a little bit better than the 200 to 250 that I was suggesting, but I, I don't know, but still grossly overpaid for the run rate of, of revenue for sure. But the big thing was that uh, evidently NetEase was just a, a financial investor. They, were, they had no uh, economic uh, interest in the game that they're building. Um, you know, Basically, they were just basically giving money. After just reading the press releases, they were just giving money to fund the new project, not necessarily have economic interest. They did get a board seat, evidently. But what's and what's interesting is that this they must got a huge payout, right? Because <laughs> they invested $100 million and, and they got sold for three and a half. So anyway, so so NetEase is just a financial stakeholder. Um, the rest of what I said, I will stick with. Uh, it's way too expensive for a studio that will be building games for competing platforms, which just by saying the words makes no sense. Um, uh, contractually, they will be completely and fiercely independent, which basically this independence will likely make it very challenging to get software as a service education to the rest of the old guard at, uh, at the legacy studios at Sony. So it's still, I think, a very, very dubious transaction at best, but just want to give a few updates. Um, I guess going into the news, one thing I'm going to make a change um, for future podcasts NFTs, crypto, play to earn. We're going to put at the end. We're going to put at the end of the podcast now. Um, just because it, NFTs and crypto are, are almost like a Donald Trump thing, right? Where like, as soon as you mention it, it just <laughs> becomes the dominant headline for each week. And there's so much endless debate because obviously it's contentious. So let's just stick with the normal news for the beginning. We'll then let people tune out, you know, later on in the episode if they just don't want to listen to crypto talk. You know, it's funny. I, I actually have never really got like this a visceral, you know, uh, reaction to anything on the podcast. But holy crap! I mean, I, I almost feel bad for Ethan, right? Because he's like 
he's the nicest guy in the world. And he's just like adopting this early and trying to make to make a go at it. And people were just ripping him to shreds. You know, <laughs> it was brutal. It was brutal. And I'm I and they're talking to me trash about him. And I'm like, dude, just fucking chill out, right? And I don't know. There's just this this is worse than the free-to-play hate. I, I remember the free-to-play stuff back in the day. It, this is completely at a different level, uh, it seems, anyway. But we'll see how it all evolves. Okay. But yeah, let's move forward. It's good to have you back, Adam, by the way. You yeah, welcome back. Welcome back, buddy. Voice and Thanks. Massive, <laughs> Appreciate so. that. Good to have you back. Um, uh, quick news. Apex Legends Mobile is actually soft-launching in more countries now on Google Play. Wait, um, so this includes... Uh, Singapore, Austria, and New Zealand. Um, potentially, now with enough download volume that we can actually start to see RPI and compare against PUBG and COD and get an early read on how that's going to do. Um, it's developed by Lightspeed and Quantum, which is a, obviously a Tencent studio behind PUBG Mobile. Um, and these games are going to be a faithful port of Apex Legends to mobile, but of course built with its own content and live operations. Um, in the Deconstructor fun predictions, I called out that I don't really expect this game to crack the top three, being PUBG, COD, and Garena, um, especially at its launch, mainly just because of RPI curves of what these games typically do. But on the surface, I believe more in this project than, say, Battlefield Mobile or Valorant Mobile, um, mm -hmm. simply because it's light speed and quantum. Like, they, they yeah. have to ace in the hole, Tencent, uh, a studio that's already scaled to produce cosmetics and events cadence necessary. Chris, you're already uh, triggered <laughs> based no, on this? I mean yeah. No, it's a no-brainer, dude. I mean, Apex has a far better chance than anything else that's coming up. Even, did you say the Call of Duty game that they're making? At the, oh, I, I didn't even mention that. The, the new Call of Duty Activision internal title, right? Like, you don't have the ace in the hole. <laughs> this is no way. I, I, I have people that are convinced, trying to convince me that that's going to be successful. There's just no fucking way. I mean, we... I mean, if you look at the PUBG game, I mean, that's all you have to say, right? Even if it was a great game or a good, decent game, like, dude, the audience is not converting or transferring over to a new game. They have way too much invested. Like, this It's the same game. problem with New State, right? This assumption that, that's what I'm that, yeah, that yeah. Crafton comes in, launches New State, and they can just pull over the PUBG audience to their own internal title. No, it's not going to happen. By the way, that's the my one of my better short calls. Like, I see the project is the best, but this one is a disaster. Crafton is like falling off a cliff. And that was before the big correction. And, and this is correction. this is just really shows like Tencent is in a great position right now of, of yeah. <laughs> building the proper kind of free-to-play um, HD uh, experiences on mobile um, for all these developers. Um, not a lot of other developers can, can do this. Uh, Lost Ark is uh, another notable game that I would recommend a lot of people play, especially those kind of talking about free-to-play cross-platform PC console. Um, it's developed by Smilegate, um, published by Amazon, and it had actually really strong beta in the fall and has since now jumped to, I think I just saw the number of 1.2 million viewers on Twitch, um, but at least it's in the top five on Twitch in the last three days, uh, according to Sully Gnome. And Steam Charts currently has it at about 500k CCU on its first day, uh, which is putting it just under Apex Legends' current CCU, and also putting this in perspective, New World spiked to beyond 900k um, on Steam. So we're looking at you know a little over half, or, or a little more than half of the but, CCU. But to be to be clear, this is the early release for people that have paid. This is not even the free-to-play version, which is coming out on oh, Friday. Okay, this is just the founders packs. Okay, yes, these wow. are founder packs until Friday, I think. Okay. Yep. So then, of course, this is going to spike much, much higher. Okay. Yeah. Um, They're so not going to be able to handle it. No way. But we'll see. 
Um, this game is free-to-play action RPG dungeon crawler or a free-to-play Diablo style game. Um, and it's really picking up the same streamers as MMOs uh, like World of Warcraft and uh, even like Diablo uh, seasonal streamers. Um, and to be honest, it's a very blue ocean to go over, right? Like free-to-play PC console PVE style services like this have really struggled to work in the West. Um, just because the content requirements are just so high and developers end up focusing too much on one-off content. Um, I think the best ones so far have been Warframe and Path of Exile, but we'll, we'll see if Lost Ark can really uh, succeed that because those games are all very old by this point. Uh, Lost Ark, you know, is a very deep progression game and I think actually did the launch properly. They had a soft launch, quote unquote, um, in December 2019 uh, in Korea and have also launched in Russia where it's already found success and actually perfected its end game, which is really the, the most difficult part about this model. So while I have a lot more faith in this than New World, it'll still be interesting to watch the playtime numbers, you know, CCU decay on Steam and see how it fares, because likely based on uh, players, this is probably going to be more niche MMO, but I, I don't know. It, it, let, let's see, um, especially if, if you're saying this 500k is, is just founders packs, it could, um, could go beyond New World. Chris? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna make a very flippant comment about this is the Diablo that that Blizzard will never make, <laughs> but it's like then again, you know, Diablo is gonna be much much bigger than this, but this is gonna be I think this is gonna be pretty big. It's getting a lot of attention. It's something I'm definitely interested in playing. I I, I don't like the isometric for MMOs generally speaking, but I I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely give this one a shot. It looks really. It well helps done. for readability in combat, right? that you can actually see the full space and like see what your friends are doing and collaborate versus kind of like over the shoulder getting too close. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just more of a solo guy, just generally speaking, lone, lone wolf. You like your shooters, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so Riot's latest League of Legends spinoff is gonna actually hit Netflix games as a mobile exclusive. Um, so if you remember, we, we called it Riot's publishing arm uh, I think Chris, you ripped it into it uh, quite a long time ago. Um, they launched a game called Hex Tech Mayhem on PC console, which is basically a rhythm video game uh, by Choice Provisions. Um, and you know, if they're going to move this to mobile, don't launch it as premium because that's not going to do much. So what else can they do? They could shop it to Apple Arcade, but likely Apple doesn't want it because they want long sustaining. Uh, games, not single-player one-off things. So shop it to Netflix, who obviously is a partner of theirs already for the Arcane series, and are probably pretty eager to grow its subscription service with you know a spike of players. Um, so I don't really have a problem with this, other than obviously it's a win-win for both companies, but likely mice nuts for both too. It is tiny. I don't even. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> not sure we can cover much more than that. Um, Activision Blizzard says Warcraft is coming to mobile later this year. Uh, I'm probably going to guess this is not going to come until 2023 since we haven't seen a soft launch yet. And based on just Diablo Immortals and how they did their, you know, alpha, closed alpha series, they're probably going to take a pretty slow approach to this. But I have no idea what type of game this is. I can only speculate. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously a massive brand for Blizzard, already seeing success with Hearthstone. Um, but, you know, what adjacent genre could straddle the line between what Warcraft is, you know, either a real-time strategy game or an MMO, and what aligns on mobile. Um, there's also no mention of whether this is a partnership like Diablo with NetEase, or is this an internally developed mobile title? All right. So my, my, my take on this is, first of all, what they should build versus what they will build, right? What they should build is just a 
turn-based RPG with all the amazing characters in the World of Warcraft universe, right? Which is a fucking no-brainer, and it would crush, right? That's not what they'll do, right? Because that's way too obvious, right? I think what they'll try to do is likely some kind of Clash Royale-style game that will look pretty and have amazing characters and do lots of cool animations, but isn't going to make a fucking nickel, right? It'll download a gajillion times. And what they would, I, I, you know, what I don't think they know, and I'm going to get so much flack for this, I already know it, is that those games don't monetize well. The only reason that game did well was it was from Supercell. And I've said this before. And so, like, it's a dumb idea to make a game like that. It's just not the right, the right model for it, but we'll see. But I think it's going to be like a Clash Royale plus one, plus two type game, if I were to guess. Isn't that a bummer, though? Like... That just feels like a letdown for the fans of the franchise. Like, I don't want to play that game. That's not Warcraft. I mean, I, I, I don't I get me wrong. I, I like four. I can I can get into four by strategy games, but don't don't what, use another. There's any number of IPs you could use for that. Like, don't don't like vandalize the Warcraft IP just because you want to make a four by strategy game. Well, I don't think it's a four. Sorry, I don't think it's a four by. I think it's a it's Clash Royale. You're thinking it's like Command and Conquer Rivals thing. Yeah, yeah, Where, like, yeah, they're like trying that. to apply real-time strategy to mobile. Uh, exactly, like, exactly. I see, I see. That's okay. what it is. So it's not World of Warcraft, it's Warcraft, right? So yeah, um, that, that's just kind of my educated guess. Because that that's what, that I think it would greenlit. And what happened was Bobby was out there <laughs> talking to investors last year, or, or two, even two years ago, about how amazing the game looks and how... what. what I mean, it was like imminent that this thing was coming out, right? It was, and and this, I think, believe, I believe it was the same game, and uh, and that's the only thing. I mean, that's why I think it's that's the only thing that would wow him or investors was something like that, right? Anyway, um, it's not the right game. I would not advise that if I were there. Uh, and I know everyone that works at Blizzard is going to be all pissed at me, but and, and, and be DM. Pretty sure they're already pissed at you. It's okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, there are very obvious things to make in the world of free to play mobile and that's not one of them that is going to be successful so uh but and then yeah we'll see what diablo mortal does this year see if i'm right about that one yeah so another big news this week or recently uh new york times spends low seven figures to acquire wordle uh, have you guys been playing wordle at all no no, I, mean, I know, I know what it is, obviously, but I had never played it. It's above my it, like level. One of your WhatsApp groups or anything? Nobody's going nuts in those groups, dropping their scores or anything. No, man, my friends are all white trash like me. <laughs> yeah, I'm all. I, dude, my, yeah, my friends are all old, dude. Fifty plus. No one's doing that shit. I feel like this is like square in the the fifty plus area. Oh, sixty. Oh, sixty plus. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my friends, anyways, are going nuts with Wordle. I don't know why. Nobody ever liked word games before, but every single day I get like 10 drops of everybody's score in Wordle, and then we make fun of each other for their scores. Um, it's just a website offering like a once-a-day word game, um, almost similar to like a newspaper's crossword or word search, but of course this is only about 5 to 10 minutes to complete. It's essentially mastermind, but with a five-letter word. Um, we didn't cover it before. It's been exploding since the beginning of January because obviously Take-Two, Activision, Microsoft, and Bungie all sucked up a lot of the conversation. Um, but it's really taken the world by storm. It's got about 2 million players is the last kind of disclosed number that I've seen. Um, but I'm trying to look at like Google Trends to figure out just how large this is. I couldn't figure out a good way to do it. It's like 16 times the size of Boba Fett 
in terms of search volume. I don't know what that tells you. Um, I also looked at like porn because I assumed porn would be like a decent baseline for this. It's like 40% of the search volume for porn. So there you go. That's how big it is. <laughs> That's wild. That's crazy. I think um, what, what people's a real concern though is that uh, they're just going to put this behind a paywall at the New York Times. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Fair game. Fair, fair, fair play. Right? Why not? Yeah. The crossword so, is, right? The, the weird thing was with the backstory with this is with Wardle, it was actually created by a guy named, guy named Josh Ward, Wardle with an A. Um, and he actually came from Reddit where he was responsible for three of their viral hit projects from 25, 2015 to 2017. Master of the Meta covered this. Um, so he's already kind of had like a master class in building up these little experiments and these little you know website-driven, community-driven games. Um, and you know had some really, really strong uh, uh, experience doing that. And then in 2021 created Wordle, where he basically beta tested it with family and friends and already blew up through 2021. And then of course hit its tipping point in late December, early January. Um, I think my take from this is like, it's just another proof point that, you know, hits are bred, not born. Um, also that it really showcases the promise of what instant games can be, um, where people are like organically sharing their score in a challenge across social media platforms and everybody able to kind of jump in and play instantly regardless of the platform that they're on. Um, but what's weird is that this, this isn't typically the use case pattern that people do, right? Like I play a game and I share my score with the world is not usually how people share their experiences. What works, at least think back to Facebook canvas, asking your friends for help, right? Rather than organically sharing your score was a better way to kind of drive viral hits. Um, but anyways, now you've got the New York times, they purchased it. Is it a good move? Uh, overall, this feels like kind of a Zynga buying draw something or Zynga buying words with friends type of moment. Um, this is hot now, but it really could pop at any moment, right? It's hard to maintain this type of engagement, especially when it's a really, really short session length once a day. And it's really dependent on your group of friends all continually playing. So the engagement is pretty thin where at least things like draw something or words with friends had a longer daily play time, or they could expand words with friends to do a lot of like playing with randoms or, or playing challenges of the day. It becomes really difficult for them to expand this. So what are they going to do? You know, put this just behind a play wall in a subscription service, or are they actually going to try to turn this into a, you know, proper free to play casual service, more like say dice with buddies. Uh, well, what would you guys do with, with, with Wordle? I would put it behind a paywall. Uh, the thing is, like, it's not, it's, 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 it's not like Draw Something um, when you consider this from the perspective of price. Like, Draw Something is like $180 million or something, um, and Wordle was low seven figures. I'm going to guess it's probably like $1 million, right? Um, that's nothing. Like, that's worth taking a flyer on to the New York Times, right? So put it behind the paywall. Let it be one more reason to subscribe. Um, I don't think they necessarily need that uh that sort of viral um uh reach to to be maintained right which obviously won't be if you put it behind a paywall it's more just a draw everyone knows wordle now probably like Wordle. i would imagine the new york times readership is like to the person aware of what wordle is right because it's such a like twitter blue check kind of thing um and and so it's just one more uh one more sort of uh line item um in the in the benefits uh, column uh, where you're selling the, the the subscription, and I think it'll work. I think it'll convert people. But then, what's if the you guy's... if you put it behind the paywall, what stops somebody else from just 
creating a free-to-play version of it because it is like it's a one developer thing pretty easy to randomly generate what the word of the day is well wordle itself though was a clone of another uh like similar game that was uh i think released by the bbc or something there's a whole backstory i'm not remembering the specifics but wordle was basically a one-for-one clone they just he just named it yeah and and the guy who made it guy who made it credited the original game in every (laughs) every screenshot of it at least Right. So it's 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 not so much like the gameplay mechanic. I mean, any game designer will tell you this. The gameplay mechanics aren't necessarily the secret sauce. Like it's there's or they I guess they are. But like then there's a whole other, you know, layer of like distribution and and exposure and stuff that you have to get right to. And so, some you know, talk about, you know, talk to um, I was reading on I'm, I'm a member of some Facebook group. Um, I, I can't remember these game 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 devs or something. It was pretty big. And uh, someone was talking about uh, the success of Supercell uh, or, or no, super, maybe it was like someone shared an article about Supercell expanding into North America with a North, North American studio or something. And uh, they, the, the CEO of Kixi was like, uh, well, um, how could they possibly make a new game without a bo- Backyard Monsters to copy? Right, because Backyard Monsters was like the, I think it was Facebook Canvas based the version of Clash. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, that was a long time ago. It seems like you are, you have, you are still pretty uh, upset about that, which, you know, maybe, maybe it's fair. But, but anyway, that's, you know, the point is, you know, that guy, that guy is a fucking lunatic, right? I, I don't, I don't know him, but, but I, you know, th- my point is that, you know, it's pretty easy to just clone a game, right? It's, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful, even if the game you're cloning was. Yeah, but there's already been it. like a successful game on mobile that is like a mobile game that's Wordle that could even just be ad backed and be free to play, right? Like, it, well, why, why, why go behind the subscription service? What What's the value of New York Times word of the day versus a game on my phone? No, because it's well, because it's the original, it's the Wordle, it's everyone's gonna know what you're talking about, not the not yeah. the words up or whatever that the clone's going to be called and and then you know you it's just one more it's just one more benefit to put in that list when you're trying to sell someone the subscription yeah what, but what, what, what if you look it? at something like threes to 2048 right is it is it already at that point that wordle saturated the entire market so now there there cannot be a 2048 that comes in and takes its lunch maybe it got a lot of earned media i mean this was like a, a sensation who's the guys who's the guy that from warner that went over to new york times uh, Jonathan Knight. Jonathan Knight, right? Yeah, I mean, this seems like right up Jonathan Knight's fucking alley, dude. Hire some, get something like this. But then, what do you like? Do you just put it behind the white paywall and do nothing else, or would you try to build on this and do something? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you make it free. Why not? I mean, it just it feels more of like a PR play than anything. Yeah. Like I feel like it would be pretty easy to pitch this as like we're gonna spend a million in cash on this, and we're gonna make one point five million in these ways through increased subs and you know, more exposure to the New York Times brand or whatever. Yeah, just promote um, fucking New York Times. That's right. probably it, worth it, right? Yeah. But th- that would be it, right? Is, is it's, it's the free product that just tries to upsell the subscription. Maybe. I, maybe. I, you know what's remarkable about this is how fast these guys worked. Jonathan Knight must have to get some credit for this. Like, he fucking crushed this thing, like, immediately. And got it done in a big company. Because time is of the essence here, right? Like, if they want to capture this, get it, get that brand up. Who knows when this thing will pop? Well, I, I think I think if the if the dude would have run a process, he could have gotten ten. I think he could have gotten gotten eight figures for this. So low seven figures makes you think it's a million bucks. Probably just whatever. There's some threshold where um, you know this guy had to get approval, and it was just just below that. Yeah. Uh, like he can go spend a million bucks without getting the you know whatever the the COO to sign off, and so he just was aggressive and fast. Yeah. Anyway. Um. All right. I guess moving on. First story. Uh. 
this was an article in this was covered relatively widely but not widely enough because they tried to make it really quiet they didn't want to like anyone to really know what was going on over there at stadia uh basically um destructoid had a piece where googly google reportedly aims to pivot stadia into a wider streaming market which i think is a nice way of putting they are shutting the fuck this shit down right and they're doing Exactly what I said they would do is white label this thing and sell it to the highest bidder, right? Anybody that wants to use it basically is what they're doing. So let's let's say what the article does before says before I do my victory dance. Look at it. Well, we see a Stadia box from Mr. Adam. Not in the shrink wrap, dude. Didn't yeah, even open the shrink wrap. So all right. <laughs> so basically, the article says uh, that they are white labeling the tech uh, so that to other co competitors, basically dropping Stadia as a brand per se, and and adapting this technology for other uses outside of games, which is the other thing I said way back when as well. Um, they've been basically shopping this thing around to other uh, tech companies or other content providers as Google Stream, right? And, and they were looking to partner with things like Capcom, Bungie, and Peloton, et cetera, you know, delivering demos or utilizing the tech with gym equipment at Peloton, whatever. Um, so they basically, the article say Google Stadia is not on its way out, except the possible sector that it was designed for from the beginning. But ultimately, basically, Google Stadia is now just technology, right? And so when I read this, obviously, I was doing a huge victory dance in my head because um, uh, I read the words white label, which I have said a gajillion times since we started talking about Stadia is that was ultimately the end game for Stadia is that they would white label it and send, sell it to the highest bidder. Um, and that would be kind of the in inevitable result of Stadia. Um, but I think I have to go back. I'm not going to go over this again and again, but it's basically there was like three fundamental problems with this thing. First, the lesson here is that you can't build a platform without content. Content is king. Right. Microsoft definitely got that memo. And now they're doing 70 billion dollar acquisitions and, and going for broke in terms of content. Right. The second thing is that big tech cannot bully their way into a pro with a product that doesn't have a market. Streaming is still in the same situation it was three years ago. No one wants it. It's fucking stupid. Right. The core gamers, the ones that play PC and consoles are fucking happy with spending thousands of dollars on a PC or five hundred dollars for a console. To the best for the best experience possible, and streaming is never going to be that, right? And I, it doesn't matter about how much it costs to get engaged with consoles. That is where the experience is going to be the best. Now, ten to fifteen years from now, who the fuck knows, right? But if your timeline is the next five years for streaming to scale, sorry, it's not going to happen, right? It's a feature on the box of Xbox. You know, Xbox X Cloud is a feature. It's not a service that's going to gain traction in the next five years you know so all this was pretty much inevitable as we've said uh and anyone who's working in cloud gaming right now i am scared for sorry candace because i don't think i think this is what the inevitable future will be for these type of services as a standalone service is that they will ultimately fail um again i think it's just going to continue to be a feature on the box uh for sony and microsoft probably so anyway victory dance any thoughts what it 
who do they sell to? They, to Bungie, just to allow Bungie to be cross-platform, maybe move, that, move to mobile? This is more like speculative. It seemed like a leak or some sort where they're basically just saying, these are the type of people they're pitching, you know, for the white label shit, right? What Build does a Bungie Peloton, service, what Peloton do with Stadia? I don't fucking know. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Peloton's having their own trouble. Dude, dude did wait, you see did that Did you guys shit? see that deck? Did you see that deck that one of the, uh, the activist investors shared? It was brutal. Oh, they wow. just eviscerated the management team. I mean, there's like a whole section about, um, I'm blanking on the CEO's name, about how uh, he's unfit to lead the company. Um, he's not of like, he's not like, he doesn't have the skills or experience to, uh, to lead a public company. How he's like, uh, he's, he, he, he appointed his wife, like head of the apparel division. I mean, it, it like, they just, they just absolutely drag him over the nails on this. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen? You know, the Peloton thing. I don't know. Anyway, but well, he, the management sold like something like five hundred collectively sold like five hundred million dollars worth of stock as the stock price declined like seventy eight percent over the last year, compared to the S and P, which is just blowing up. I mean, it was it was it's, it was pretty shocking. I didn't I hadn't been following Peloton that closely. I I, I want to be clear on those. That point always makes me a little bit uh... triggered. No, no, actually, it's not triggering because ultimately these executives all have have uh, so they they don't sell stock willy nilly based upon market conditions. They basically have schedules. In yes, which they, they have a schedule. Yeah, that's right. They have open windows. So the fact that yeah. he's selling stock doesn't mean that he was like liquidating in, in anticipation of failure. It's just probably part of the normal thing. Now he may have been more aggressive than he otherwise would be, given what was happening. But they're very, 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 very strict about how they can insiders can sell. Yeah. So anyway, RIP. I'm, I'm sorry for all the people that at Stadia that uh, probably are going to lose their jobs, but um, but that was it was destined to fail. Okay, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation. Talk about your post IDFA cross platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality brand sponsored videos, so you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their games economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respect respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. 
Everybody wins with player one. Gamers unlock immediate rewards. Developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue. And brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or get go to the link in this podcast description below. Now back to the episode. Cool. Um, moving on. I, I might get triggered uh, over the course of uh, covering this article. So the title was The Unnerving Rise of Video Games That Spy on You. And this was in Wired. It was published uh, two days ago, I think. Um, it's kind of a long read. No, it was published uh, February 1st, so last week. So, okay. So I want to start off with how they, their description of a game. So what I'm about to read is what this article opens with. Um, and these words are meant to explain what a game is. So I'm quoting. In basic terms, video games are systems that translate physical inputs, such as hand movement or gesture, into various electric or electronic machine-readable outputs. The user, by acting in ways that comply with the rules of the game and the specifications of the hardware, is parsed as data by the video game. Writing almost a decade ago, the sociologists Jennifer R. Whitson and Bart Simon argued that games are increasingly understood as systems that easily allow the reduction of human action into knowable and predictable formats. That is the worst description of a game I've ever heard <laughs> that could describe any hardware device. Um, that is not what a game is in any way. That could be, you, and, and if you accept that as a description of a game, that could describe a Nintendo game uh, from 1991. Uh, so this certainly isn't like a kind of modern, uh, you know, uh, critique of, 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 of the sort of excesses of, 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 of gaming, uh, you know, sort of data harvesting. Okay, so moving on, I want to quote something else. So correlation between personality and quantitative gameplay data is certainly not unpro unproblematic. The relationship between personality and identity and video game activity is complex and idiosyncratic. For instance, research suggests... The gamer identity intersects with gender, racial, and sexual identity. Additionally, there has been general pushback against claims of big data's production of new knowledge rooted in correlation. Despite this, games companies increasingly realize the value of big data sets to gain insight into what a player likes, how they play, what they play, what they'll likely spend money on in freemium games, how and when to offer the right content, and how to solicit the right kinds of player feelings. Now, we were talking about, uh, you know, sort of Ethan attracting the ire of, uh, you know, sort of anti-NFT activists. Well, the, you know, what they're talking about is pretty sort of like old, old line of argumentation against freemium, right? And I certainly incurred that. Um, I mean, I wrote a book called Freemium Economics. I don't understand what, when they're talking about this, um, gaining insights into what a player likes, how they play, what they play, what they'll likely spend money on, how and when to offer the right content. Why is that bad? Like, what are we talking about? That's a good thing. Those are all benefits to players. I don't understand... Uh, how gaining insight into what a player likes is some sort of like, you know, evil undertaking that feels like what you'd want to do if you're delivering digital content to a user um, and trying to like optimize their experience for how they want to play a game and what they want to interact with. Okay, I'm going to quote one it more thing. It seems odd that they're putting this right next to the gamer identity intersects with gender, racial and sexual identity. Like, like well, that, but I mean, like that's, why that's put just, those, yeah, like everything, well, <laughs> everything has an intersection of a lot of different people. And that's just, that feels totally substantiated to me. Like, is that true? Like I can, so like I can, I can perceive your gender um, or your race from the data that I'm able to collect 
from your uh, movement or your your the way you press the buttons on the controller. Like, has anyone that's, what has anyone yeah, ever but, cared about that? <laughs> well, so there's there's two things you have to you have to kind of separate here. One is what 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 would be the inclination from a game developer to do that, right? Like, okay, maybe it's let's say maybe it's possible. Let's say I I acknowledge that's possible because I think it's probably possible with anything, right? I think any any data I could get on a person or collect from any sort of input probably helps me probably could be used as an input to that kind of model. Now, how accurate that model is, that's another question. But let's say let's say it's possible because I think it's probably possible with any kind of input. What what incentive does a game developer have to try to parse that out and identify you? Like I think if they had talked to any game developer and understood the process and understood the ways that they use that data, they would realize, okay, maybe this is a potential threat. It's very unlikely. Um, it's very sort of like slim likelihood of being utilized. But it it just it just isn't like there's no game. I can't imagine a game developer doing that, and especially in the environment now. Like if that got out, it would ruin the it would ruin the company. It would destroy the company. Okay, let me move on because there's a lot here. Um, while there are this is me quoting again. While there are no numbers on how many video game companies are surveilling their players, surveilling their players in game. You're in a game playing. How are, how is that being surveilled? You know that you're playing the game. You didn't get tricked into playing it. Right? You're not, no one's peering through your window watching you play the game. You're actively choosing to play the game. Okay. Uh, surveilling their players in game. Although, as a recent article suggests, uh, the recent article being from a, an, an actual academic uh, journal, large publishers and developers like Epic, EA, and Activision explicitly state that they capture user data in their license agreements. No shit. That's not surveillance, that's collecting inputs uh, to, to, to sort of utilize to improve the game. Anyway, moving on. Uh, quoting again, a new industry of firms selling middleware, quote unquote, data analytics tools often used by game developers has sprung up. These data analytics tools uh, promise to make uh, users more amenable to continued consumption through the use of data analysis at scale. Such analytics, once available only to the largest video game studios, which could hire data scientists to capture, clean, and analyze the data, and software engineers to develop in-house analytics tools, are now commonplace across the industry. Hmm, these companies, they sound pretty evil, these, these, these uh, data analytics middleware companies. I'm, I'm excited to learn more. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the next sentence to find out who they are. So I'm really excited to do that. Companies like Unity Game Analytics or Amazon Web Services, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? This is, this is totally detached from reality. Okay, I'm quoting again. One tool, essentially Uber for playtesting, allows companies to outsource quality assurance testing and provides data-driven insights into the results. You want to know who they're talking about? Playtest Cloud. <laughs> is, that a, is that a surveillance tool? Playtest no. Cloud? Okay. <laughs> so the article gets more ludicrous from there. It refers to targeted advertising, of course, as you'd expect it to. But then it moves into how companies like Amazon and Uber have gamified their employee interface apps to produce more output from their staff and how games can serve as data inputs into military applications and military grade brain computer interfaces. So I've become aware over the past year or so through my very public and vocal opposition to Apple's app tracking transparency privacy framework of the existence of a hardline privacy muckraking industry that is mostly comprised of academic researchers, but in some cases lobbyists and communications professionals from legacy media companies, right? So they just are particular, they in particular have a bone to pick with Fang, right? Um, so this group of people is something of a cottage industry. It really just exists to point out potential privacy vulnerabilities, no matter how unlikely or impractical, as a form of criticism against big tech broadly. One thing I want to point out 
is that I am not anti-privacy, right? I'm not anti-privacy. I'm not an advocate for the unfettered transmission or harvesting of data uh, or of user data from consumer or enterprise tech products. I do think that companies should have to gather consent from users before collecting their data. And I'm an advocate for increased privacy controls for most consumer tech. But I've had uh, three primary objections to ATT. First, the opt-in consent form uses dark patterns and loaded leading language to engineer artificially low opt-in rates without explaining the benefit of personalized advertising to users. Two, Apple designed ATT to exempt its own ad network from collecting behavioral data from users to target ads. And three, there was never any recognition of the privacy utility trade-off or the economic value of personalization in the way ATT was presented. We have to choose points of a spec on a spectrum, right? When we think about privacy and utility and privacy and sort of economic value, those are, those are two axes and they, they produce kind of like a spectrum. And we have to choose points on there. We have to optimize against points on the spectrum. And these are not binary yes slash no decisions, or at least they shouldn't be. And these decisions impact people. They impact users and they impact businesses. So I find this hardline privacy muckraking cottage industry problematic for a few reasons. The first is hammer and nail syndrome. If your job is to find potentially potential privacy vulnerabilities, you're always going to find potential privacy vulnerabilities, especially in any digital product, right? Second, there's no recognition of user agency. My position is that any privacy policy should be predicated first on user consent. Let users decide the extent to which they are comfortable sharing data with the services they use and treat them like adults. Explain the advantages and disadvantages of having their data collected and tell them what data is being collected. And the third is that there's been no, there's generally no input from the industry on these kinds of articles or these kinds of reports, right? So almost all of the output from these types of groups is devoid of any input from industry practitioners. In some cases, this creates ridiculous or patently absurd assumptions or comparisons, such as Playtest Cloud providing insights into player emotions or demographic features that can be mapped to a few minutes of exposure to a beta stage game. It's clear to me in reading this article that the authors didn't interview any game developer that uses Unity or Playtest Cloud or Game of Whales. And if they had, they probably wouldn't have come to such strident, extreme conclusions, right? And I think like the last point I'll make is that this stuff is not going to end with personalized advertising. It's going to creep. There's going to be scope creep into every tech product. There's no, every single piece of tech hardware that you use collects data and it uses it usually for, purposes that are beneficial to the user, right? But if you think about any collection of data as a privacy vulnerability that users should not tolerate, then, then we won't, we're gonna go back to, to, uh, to, to playing shoots and ladders and using an abacus to calculate math. Like th there's, there's, there's just, a, I think my hope is that these people just kind of increasingly reveal themselves as totally unmoored from reality and people stop taking them seriously, but it was never just gonna stop with personalized ads. It's gonna keep going and going and going. And I think the idea that games surveil users because they collect data about the, how they play is, is absolutely ridiculous. Okay, I'm done ranting. What do you guys think? <laughs> did, did this article actually have a lot of reads or, or shares or anything? Did it get a lot I don't of know, things? probably not. I, I, I don't remember where I saw it. Yeah, like I can, I can completely agree with you. This. <laughs> This is clearly triggering you in many, many ways, um, but I, I, I don't know how how somebody can read this. And <laughs> I mean, there, there there are so many layers to this, and that I could talk about for hours and probably get myself in lots of fucking trouble. So I'm I'm going to avoid the political aspect of all of this because ultimately, the one thing I will say, and and I, I think I've said this in the podcast before, but but I'll do it quickly is that. For, for the last like 20 years or maybe 10 years, we've been seeing people completely abandon all personal privacy 
by providing insane amounts of information to Facebook, you know, now TikTok and like um, Instagram, all these services that people are just giving up their information about themselves, like freely, right? And nothing was happening, right? And then like when the internet first started, the privacy hawks were all over it, but they just got, they disappeared. They just fucking appeared is what, what, what would seem to happen with all this stuff. And a lot of it was because a lot of these tech guys became parts of the administrations of the, of the government of, 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 of the U S right. Um, and anyway, sorry, the point of the story is that over the last like five or what, five years or so, then this privacy shit just keeps coming back up and it's going, it's getting crazy, right. In terms of like what they're trying to go after. And these type of articles are, almost insane. And I guess what I would say that is, is that privacy is a concern of the old, right? I don't think kids or people like using all these services today give a fuck about privacy. You know, they don't, they, as, as, in terms of as, as users, I don't think anybody cares. Like my, my daughter or like, you know, kids that are using all these services, I don't think they give a shit about privacy. Um, so anyway, it seems like more of a old, old man shit that's going on with these type of, um, Project. It just feels but, like th this argument has been made like 15 years ago and nothing's changed. <laughs> but I, I just don't think they're going to get very far on this. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of pressure on these firms these days to, to you know, get serious about it. But yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's scary. But I mean, and it, yeah, I'm not going to defend the article, but it is true that they're tracking user behavior to change user behavior for free to play games. I mean, that's the, the whole definition of free to play is trying to optimize around. But it, every, everybody does it regardless. Yeah. Of and that's, model. but that's not a, that's not a privacy issue. You can separate that. You can like, and, 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 and I'm happy to have that conversation. Um, but that's not a privacy issue. That's using the data, my usage data in the game. Is that's not a private, that's not what they're saying is that usage data could be used to identify me. Like the way that I, the way that I, uh, uh, match uh, uh, gems in a match three game could be used to identify my race and my gender. That's what they're saying, and then and then ultimately used to identify me. And that's that just seems t like okay, fine. If you're gonna make that case, support it. You can't just say that and expect yeah. me to believe it and take that at face value. If you say, look, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, we shouldn't be trying to um, optimize user behavior. Like we shouldn't take the we shouldn't take uh, user behaviors as an input to try to change the game to optimize people towards uh, monetizing or, or whatever. Like, and that's a totally different argument from, hey, this is invasive of my privacy because this data can be used. It's surveilling me and it could be used to identify me. That just seems, that's, 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 that, that just seems like out there. That doesn't seem realistic. You know, that, but the whole free-to-play argument that's been had, and it wasn't a privacy argument. That was, hey, this is like psychological manipulation. You're manipulating people into spending money. And well, you I mean, do okay, that. Let, let's use a real-world example, for instance. Like, if you get the, the 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 group of people that go to Caesar's Casino every year, um, and then you start targeting ads about social casino games to that user base, I mean, is that a privacy concern? Because I, I'm sure Platika and others do that, right? They well, it's been, it's been how are you, are you talking about targeting them with like some kind of identifier? Like, were you talking about just putting up ads for the games in the casinos? Yeah, I mean, you're you're basically manipulating them into downloading your casino game because you know these guys are likely degenerate gamblers that go to Caesars every <laughs> every few months, right? 
Well, yeah, but if you're talking about putting up ads in the casino for the games, that's just that's the no, no, no. I'm saying you 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 identify who these are and you're emailing, marketing, and you're targeting them based upon information collected that they may or may not know is going to be used for that 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 purpose, right? Oh yeah, well, but then that's just first party data to them anyway. That wouldn't violate ATT or any other. I mean, that wouldn't violate any kind of privacy uh, policy because that's your data. You, they gave if it's your game. You know, if you sold that list to another company and they use that's it to target for social. No, that's what I'm saying. Caesars well, then, sell their list to Playtica in order for Playtica to target the Caesars audience. No, I don't think that happened. I'm just using it. I mean, I don't know. I'm not justifying these articles. I'm just saying, like, a lot of the shit that's going on right now with, with, with marketing is a little sketch just to begin with, right? So, I mean, they're not, they're not free and clear of, you know, bad behavior. So. Yeah, fair, but I don't. I, 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 abs- I'm with you that I don't think like that kind of list buying is is totally unseemly. Like I think that's unethical. I wouldn't do that, right? Like buying lists, uh, to me is you know a violation, right? Like, but but where what ATT does is it says you know that transmission that happens between the advertiser and Facebook or the advertiser and whoever else where they have a relationship that violates someone's privacy. But, but anyway, we're talking about this is advertising. Uh, what I the article was about these games are violating your privacy, uh, totally unrelated. To, I mean, they had a little bit of the connection to user acquisition in the article, but the majority of the article was like, we're going to profile you and we're going to do all these things and we're doing that without your consent and it's violating your privacy and we could potentially identify you as a result of that. And it's just like completely unsubstantiated. Well, bringing race and and sex and stuff into this seems weird, right? Yeah, well, the whole article was weird. <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 that's a little bit bizarre. But anyway, let's move on, because I think Adam has to go. Yeah, baby's starting to cry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> should, we save it for next, should we save it for next week? Because i got to run, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. okay. let's do it. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. All right, and, is, uh, is Mishka back next week? I think he's still at the black site. Dude, is he? Yeah, all right. All right, all right. All right well, hopefully Mishka's back next week. But uh, in the interim, uh, feel free to send any hate. Uh, that that uh, was reserved for Ethan to, to any of us. And, uh, and hopefully we'll see you next week. <laughs> All right. See ya. Later.